I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Arthur Kellerman, Vice President of the RAND Corporation and Director of RAND Health in Santa Monica, California. Dr. Kellerman has co-authored a perspective article on an effort in Washington State to reduce unnecessary use of emergency departments. Dr. Kellerman, back in 2006, you wrote a perspective article on the crisis in U.S. emergency departments. Severe overcrowding, shortages of nurses and physicians, diversions of ambulances to other hospitals, insufficient funding to cover the emergency care that all Americans have the legal right to obtain. And then last year you noted in an article that emergency department visits have continued to increase at twice the rate of population growth. Overall, have things gotten better or worse in the past five years? In general, things have slowly gotten worse. And the reason for this is that emergency departments are the only sites of care in the United States where Americans can be treated without regard for their ability to pay. And as we have seen, particularly since the onset of the Great Recession, millions of Americans have lost coverage, millions more who have restored coverage through public programs like Medicaid uh, are, if you will, underinsured, and many other challenges to access to care have increased in the United States. When patients don't have reliable access to care, particularly primary care, they tend to turn to the only place left to them, and that's the ER. Uh, and that's why in last year's New England Journal article, we talked about the ER as a room with a view. It is a room that gives you a view into the status of public health in a community, the status of access to primary care, and even the operations of a hospital, because you'll see all of those effects played out in the emergency room. In your current article, you describe a proposed policy under which Washington State would refuse to pay for Medicaid beneficiaries' visits to the emergency department if they were considered unnecessary. And that decision would be based on a list of diagnoses that should be dealt with in a primary care practice. Do you know how that list was developed? The major genesis for this list was the work of Dr. John Billings, a brilliant researcher uh, who a number of years ago uh, demonstrated compellingly that you could tell how well patients did or did not have access to care in a community by the nature of their ER visits in communities where primary care access was fragile or patients couldn't be seen in a consistent manner, you tended to see more patients coming into the ER with either primary care sensitive conditions, meaning conditions that can be readily treated in a primary care setting and prevent an emergency from happening, or outright primary care treatable conditions, simple problems that should and ought to be managed in a primary care office. When you see large numbers of patients with such conditions coming into ERs, that is a very reliable sign that access to care in that community, or in this case, a state, isn't what it should be. We think that that is the primary source of the list that Washington State proposed for judging after the fact whether or not a patient's visit was in fact a legitimate quote-unquote emergency or uh, was not. The problem with this is after the fact. Uh, there are many conditions and many complaints 
complaints that might ultimately turn out to be minor, but until you've done that assessment, until you've checked the patient out, you don't know whether the condition is in fact truly minor or not. So basing a judgment on diagnosis is really like playing roulette after the, the table has stopped spinning and the ball has dropped. It's not fair to patients, it's not fair to providers, it's really not fair to the community. Do private insurance companies already use lists like this one? They have in the past. Uh, generally speaking, they don't anymore, and that's because uh, Congress uh, passed uh, a patient bill of rights and basically said that if you are insured with private insurance, companies cannot, after the fact, decide that your chest pain was indigestion, heartburn, instead of acute myocardial infarction or a heart attack. Um, and therefore, retrospective denials, if you will, betting after the roulette ball has dropped, is no longer allowed for private insurance companies. Uh, it is not at all clear that fee-for-service Medicaid patients have the same level of protection, and I think that's one of the reasons why Washington State was at least tempted to move in this direction and hopefully won't. In fact, you note that the proposed policy has not gone into effect because the state's going to try a compromise plan first. Can you tell us what that plan would entail? I really can't. It's, uh, it's currently being worked out in Washington State now. They basically, under a lot of public pressure and a lot of concern about the wisdom of this strategy, the state, and with great credit, the state's governor, decided to take a deep breath and see if they couldn't implement an alternate strategy first. So what they've done is they have gone to Washington State's hospitals, at least those hospitals that provide most of the emergency care or ER care to Medicaid patients, and said, we want you to work with us and develop a plan to try to reduce these visits to the emergency department so that the state can save money. By and large, ER visits are more expensive, and therefore, restrictions on emergency department use are a tempting target for state governments that are struggling with out-of-control health spending and severe budget constraints. But the irony here is that even with this compromise plan, the focus of the Washington state government is on hospitals and ERs to stop, quote-unquote, providing this kind of care rather than looking where they should be looking, which is at the status of their primary care system and saying, how can we strengthen access to primary care so these patients don't have to be in the ER in the first place? We know there's overwhelming evidence that states with strong primary care systems and good access to care have better health and substantially lower costs. That's much better than locking the door of the ER. Under the Affordable Care Act, if it's upheld by the Supreme Court, Medicaid will expand to cover an additional 16 to 17 million Americans. What do you expect that expansion will mean for emergency departments and for efforts like Washington State's? Well, on the short term, it frankly could mean a marked increase in emergency department visits. We know today there is inadequate access to primary care under current conditions. We know that Medicaid patients in most states don't pay primary care doctors, or at least the Medicaid itself doesn't pay primary care doctors at the level that makes them very attractive, although the Affordable Care Act does increase those payments on the short term. If you don't have enough primary care doctors and you provide 
millions and millions of Americans with desperately needed health insurance through expansion of Medicaid, if they can't get to a primary care doctor and they are feeling sick or they're scared about their physical problem, it would make sense that patients will perhaps be more willing to turn to an ER once they know they've got an insurance plan to buffer the bill they would otherwise receive than they did before. We've known for some time that Medicaid patients tend to use the emergency room more often than the uninsured, mainly because the latter group is very fearful of the consequences of getting that bill. And Medicaid patients don't have that same level of fear. So I do think that access to care will be improved with expansion of Medicaid coverage, but at least on the short term, some of that expanded access is likely to come in emergency departments that are already struggling to meet existing levels of demand. As you point out, the problem is systemic. It doesn't begin in the emergency department. It begins with poor access to primary care. What do you see as the essential steps to correcting that? I think there's two fundamental uh, steps. Number one is, and you, you, you give the key in the term essential, uh, one of the most important ideas that hasn't been fought over yet in the ongoing battle over health reform is the notion of essential health benefits. There should be a basic, decent minimum of health care coverage that any insurance policy, public or private, in the United States covers. And just like we know that tap water is basically clean and safe to drink, no one in America dies of thirst today. Everyone can get to a source of tap water. But if you want to buy premium bottled water flown from halfway across the world, nobody gets in your way. You can go out and buy that fancy water. The same way with health care. We should provide a decent, basic minimum of coverage, and every insurance policy that says it's health insurance should ensure that level of health. And that should begin with good access to primary care. The second part of this is, in fact, we should understand and we should accept that while everybody says they want a Marcus Welby as their doctor, everybody says they want to have a good primary care physician, as a society, we have not supported primary care the way we have tended to support high-tech specialty medicine and surgery. And we're paying a dear price for that oversight. As I said earlier in the uh, interview, states and communities with strong primary care systems have better health and lower costs than those that don't. That should be the foundation of our American health care system, not an afterthought. Is there anything that hospitals, which of course are the home of emergency departments, can do to help address the problem? There are hospitals and health systems that are beginning to do a better job of both linking their emergency departments, their ERs, to primary care systems and networks so that there's better information sharing and better collaboration between ER docs and primary care docs. And there are also some hospitals and health systems that are beginning to do more work with the community to make sure that patients understand options and alternatives that are available to them, places that they can go and not end up with a six or eight or 10 hour wait in an emergency room. These are pull strategies. These are strategies designed to pull people out of the waiting room by giving them a medical home, giving them a location that wants to and is willing to take care of them, rather than the Washington State strategy of pushing people out of the ER. 
it's important to recognize that if you tell a triage nurse or you tell an emergency physician, if the patient comes in they're not on death's door, tell them to leave, what you'll end up with are people will leave, but they'll come back sicker than ever. And ultimately, it's really unclear that that's going to save Washington State any money or anyone else any money. So that I think that where hospitals are beginning to do a better job of linking their emergency department care to primary care and linking the community to the delivery and access to health care, they're getting encouraging results that, again, suggest that a strong integrated network that supports and enables access to primary care is the best way to go. In your article last year, you envisioned an alternative future in which care would be accessible, coordinated, and patient-centered. What would it take to achieve that vision, and are you optimistic? I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, It's hard when um, one sees the current growth curve for health spending in the United States, when one looks at such evidence as the RAND quality of care study from earlier last decade that suggested that Americans get recommended care only 55% of the time, and when one considers the tremendous spending on high-tech interventions of doubtful benefit, whether we will ever figure out that doing the basics well and consistently works. But there is clear signs that the cost challenge is really beginning to engage the American people, engage American business, and engage policymakers. If the two leading parties, once they get beyond this election, can really focus on engineering a healthcare system and a public health system that is designed to be accessible, affordable, and ultimately economically sustainable, I think in very short order we can create the public health and healthcare system that Americans want, Americans need, and Americans deserve. Thank you, Dr. Kellerman.